the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. You know, from the time that, that Paul got saved on the road to Damascus until he, his first ministry opportunity, it was 10 years. We live in such an instant society now where we want everything now. And we have microwaves and drive throughs and, you know, everything is just so instantaneous. We have lost the art of waiting on God. Moses waited 40 years. Paul waited 10 years. David was anointed king when he was about 15 years of age. He didn't become king until he was 40. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. When God called Abraham and revealed that he would be the father to a great nation, Abraham had to wait. Abraham had to wait many years for that promise to be fulfilled. Joseph had a dream when he was 17, but that vision didn't come to pass until years later. In today's message, Pastor Gary points out that many of us forget that when the Lord reveals a plan or a promise, there is usually a time of waiting involved. God works on us, humbles us, and prepares us during this time of waiting. We develop the patience and fortitude we need to fulfill God's calling on our lives during the wait. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for today's message from the book of Acts, chapter 7. Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And when Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to look more closely, he heard the Lord's voice. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. And then the Lord said to him, take off your sandals. The place where you were standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses whom they had rejected with the words who made you ruler and judge. He was sent to be their ruler and deliver by God himself, though the angel who appeared to him in the bush, through the angel who appeared to him in the bush, he led them out of Egypt and did wonders and miraculous signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and for 40 years in the desert. This 
is that Moses who told the Israelites, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the desert with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, and he received living words to pass on to us. But our fathers refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him, and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and held a celebration in honor of what their hands had made. But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the heavenly bodies. This agrees with what is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings 40 years in the desert, O house of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of Molech and the star of your god Rephan, the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. All right, here's the second section of his speech, all that I just read there. He moves from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's descendants, the 12 sons of Jacob. They end up populating in Egypt. The number that starts out as 75, we know from the Bible, ends up coming out 600,000 fighting men. You add women and children to that, it's probably two, two and a half million people. They went from 75 to two and a half million people in about 400 years. But their groaning went up to God because of their slavery and the condition in Egypt because a different Pharaoh had then enslaved them. And God heard their, their cry for mercy and he raises up a prophet, Moses. Now, that whole story about how Moses, you know, was even protected divinely from being killed like the rest of the, of the Hebrew boys is amazing in and of itself. He ends up being recovered out of the Nile River and, um, and Pharaoh's daughter raises him as her own. He's influential. He's educated there in the palace of the Pharaoh. And then, of course, as Stephen alluded to, Moses ends up killing a, a, an Egyptian in defense of his fellow Israelites. But they don't see him as the prophet yet. They don't see him as the deliverer because his time has not yet come. Moses, unfortunately, got the timing wrong. He thought that his own people would see him as a deliverer. Moses was 40 years early, and he's going to need to spend 40 years in the wilderness of Midian for God to turn him into a shepherd and to teach him. And, of course, in the midst of that, to appear to him. Sometimes people will say to me, Pastor Gary, why don't you pray with me for God's will in my life? I want to know what God's will is. And you know what? We often ask that question because we are consumed about the what concerning God's will. What is God's will for my life? I want to know God's will. And Moses understood the what of God's will. You know what he had wrong? The when of God's will. God's will is not just about what. It is also the timing. And sometimes we get frustrated feeling like, I want to do God's will, and I want to know God's will, and I want this, and I want that. And, and what God might put in your heart in terms of his will might only be half of the equation. The other half is waiting for his perfect timing, knowing when. Moses didn't get the, the when part right. So here he is 40 years old, and he thinks, I'm the deliverer, and God's put this in my heart, and I want to save my fellow Hebrews from being mistreated like this. And then his own fellow Hebrews turned on him and says, well, who made you, you know, judge and deliverer? Are you you going to kill us like he killed the Egyptian yesterday? And he realizes that what he thought he had done in secret was seen visibly, and now he runs for his life. And he spends the next 40 years. It won't be until he's 80 years old that God says, now the when. Now the timing is right. And I want you to go back and lead my people out of their slavery in Egypt. But God had to prepare him. You know, from the time that that Paul got saved on the road to Damascus until 
He, his first ministry opportunity, it was 10 years. We live in such an instant society now where we want everything now. And we have microwaves and drive-throughs and, you know, everything is just so instantaneous. We have lost the art of waiting on God. Moses waited 40 years. Paul waited 10 years. David was anointed king when he was about 15 years of age. He didn't become king until he was 40. There has to be a time of waiting and patience. There has to be a seeking of the Lord. A time of just waiting on the Lord. And there's a time of patience. And there's a time of just seeking the Lord and not rushing it. And we have to recapture that art of just kind of waiting on the Lord. Well, so Stephen makes this great speech and he, and he elevates Moses here because Moses is an important prophet. And, and in fact, Moses himself, look again, verse 37. Stephen quoted Moses, verse 37. This is what Moses, who told the Israelites, this is what Moses said, God will send you a prophet like me from your own people. That's Deuteronomy 18.15. Stephen's quoting right from Deuteronomy 18.15. That's exactly what Moses said. There's going to come a day when God will raise up a prophet like me from among our own people. And Moses was prophetically speaking about Jesus. There's going to come a day when there's going to be a great deliverer, one greater than me. I'm just delivering you out of slavery from Egypt to the promised land. But one greater than me will come who will deliver you out of the greater slavery of sin into a greater deliverance. So even Moses is prophetically pointing to and looking to Jesus. And Stephen here speaks about their own history. Listen, it's not about the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons of Jacob. And then he adds in that section we just read, and it's not about a prophet. It's not about a prophet. As good and wonderful as Moses was, even Moses said himself, there's going to be a greater prophet than me. So don't make it about Moses. This whole faith thing, our faith is not in a patriarchal system. It's not in a prophet. Keep reading with me now. Third section, verse 44. Stephen says, our forefathers had the tabernacle. Notice this. Now he's going to talk about the building. Our forefathers had the tabernacle of the testimony with them in the desert. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. Having received the tabernacle, our fathers under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. However, Stephen goes on, the Most High does not live in houses made by men. As the prophet says, and he quotes here from Isaiah, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? Okay, so this is the third section. And Moses, or rather, uh, Stephen is making the argument here that that under Moses, there was a temporary structure made, the tabernacle. It was like a tent. It was a mobile sanctuary on wheels. It even came into the promised land. And he was even there with David. David had a desire to build a temple. But it would be David's son Solomon who would end up building the house of the Lord. But Stephen adds, listen, even God said, and he quotes from Isaiah, heaven is my throne. It's not like I, I'm dependent on a building because I'm everywhere. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you really build for me as if you could contain me? As if that should be the thing that, that we hold most dearly? No. So Stephen adds here, it's not about a place. It's not about a patriarch. It's not about a prophet. 
It's not even about this beautiful temple. It's not about a place. Look what he says that it is. Verse 51. Now this is where it gets, it gets harsh here. He, he's going he's gonna to get up in their grill. You know what I'm saying? He, and, it's, and it ain't going to go well. But he's going to tell them the truth nonetheless. He says this in verse 51. You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there, never a, was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. Who's that? Jesus, the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him, you who have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but have not obeyed it. Now that's the end of his speech. And before we see their reaction, notice again what he says here. You stiff-necked people. All right, so stiff-necked just basically means proud. You know, you get the picture of somebody who's stiff-necked. They're kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm something. And so he calls them proud. You're stiff-necked. You're proud with uncircumcised hearts and ears. It's interesting. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, you don't need to turn there. Just read it. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6. God said through Moses, he said, the, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Now, obviously, the, the, the right of circumcision was a covenant agreement that God gave Abraham, and it was the cutting away of flesh. It seems like an odd thing as a covenant, but what God was saying was put the knife to the place of reproduction because you are no longer your own people, but you belong to me. That's what he was basically saying. The right of circumcision was communicating, you put the knife to the place of reproduction because this is not about your biological reproduction. This is about being reproduced spiritually. I am your father, you are my children, and show yourself by the covenant sign of circumcision. And then in the Bible, there are different places, and this is one of them, where it speaks of the circumcision of the heart. Now, this is allegorical. This is, this is figuratively. But it's the idea of cutting away the parts of the heart that are fleshly. So that your heart is more devoted and walking after and a desire for the Lord. So Stephen says you're uncircumcised in heart. You have fleshly, sinful hearts that need to be cut away because there's sin in your hearts. And you're uncircumcised. You need to have your hearts circumcised. You need to cut away the fleshly, sinful part of your own hearts. But he's just directly confronting them. You are proud, arrogant, stiff-necked, uncircumcised of hearts and of ears. You're not even hearing the truth. You're just hearing what you want to hear. And he calls them on this. He says, there wasn't ever a prophet you guys didn't kill. It's just speaking in terms of th them and their, and, and their religious leaders before them and the Jews who rejected God and, and rejected the prophets. He said, you killed them all. Even the ones who came to tell you about the righteous one. Even the one who came to predict and prophesy about the coming of Christ. He says, now you've murdered him. You nailed him to a cross. You have received the law that was put into effect through angels, which is an interesting statement there and also in galatians 3 19 hebrews 2 2 it tells us that apparently when moses received the ten commandments that god used angels to bring the commandments so so stephen says even the very law that was handed from god to moses through angels you have not obeyed it you kill the prophets you don't obey god you're proud you're arrogant and fleshly he says all that and then their reaction follows. What is he saying there in those verses 51 to 53? He's saying it's not about a patriarch. 
And it's not about a prophet. It's not about a place. Come on, this is a good alliteration, people. The last one is, it's about a person. It's Jesus Christ. That's what he says. He says, all, all this stuff, all this religious system, and on all the stuff that you have worshipped, you worship the temple, you worship Moses, you worship Abraham. It's all about Abraham. It's all about our fathers. It's all about the system. It's all about religion. He says, listen, it's about a relationship. It's about Jesus Christ. But you're too arrogant and disobedient and fleshly to accept him. You killed him just like you killed the prophets who predicted and prophesied about him. And in response... They say in verse 54, it says, When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen that. Let me tell you, I've seen that one time, the gnashing of teeth. It's like grinding teeth to show your, somebody's disdain for something. Many years ago, I was doing a funeral. I did a funeral for a lady who was Jewish, and her daughter, she was a single mom, and her daughter was in her 20s, and, and um, the lady had unfortunately died of cancer, and her daughter had received Christ here and said to me, my mom's Jewish. All her friends who are coming to the funeral are going to be Jewish. I want you to pre- preach Christ. So she said to me, so I want you to preach Christ. I want you to tell about Jesus. So I said, all right. You know, I don't know. You know, what, what, what harm can happen? You know, there's another funeral, I suppose. And so, <laughs> and I get up at the funeral home, and I and I just and I did exactly what she wanted. That was that was the daughter's wish. And I preached Christ. And literally, I remember in the middle of the sermon hearing a grinding sound. And I looked out, and almost every person to a man was sitting there grinding, gnashing, and groaning. They were that angry. And I thought to myself, I know what this verse means now. I got out obviously to talk about it, so everything's all right. But, uh, but, but it was a sign of just showing your anger and disdain. So they hear this, they're furious at Stephen. They gnash their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, now he sees his vision. And, he, and the heavens open and he sees this. And he, and he says, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man Notice this, standing at the right hand of God. It's very interesting. Colossians 3.1 and Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Stephen sees him standing. You know what it really is a demonstration of? Because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father because his work is finished and it's complete. And so thus, he is typically seated. But Stephen sees him standing because Jesus is standing, giving Stephen a standing ovation. He's standing with Stephen. You stood up for me and you told the truth and I stand. And Stephen sees this vision of the Lord Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And at this, verse 57, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Now, it is believed, here's a picture of, this This is called, this actually has three names. It's called the Lion's Gate, St. Stephen's Gate, and the Sheep Gate. This is in Israel. It's on the northeastern wall of the city of Jerusalem. It's one of the places, we'll go through this gate on our trip to Israel. And it's called the Lion's Gate, not, not because it has anything spiritual. It's actually, uh, there were images uh, of stone lions above the archway there that was put there by Sultan Suleiman the Magnificent, who was a Turkish... Um, Muslim, 
who put it there in the year about 1517 when the, when the Ottomans had uh, success over the, uh, the, the, the Mamluks. And so that, it doesn't have anything to do scripturally by, by being called the Lion's Gate. But it is historically thought that this is the gate that they dragged Stephen out of and stoned him. So it is called now also St. Stephen's Gate. But originally this gate was called the Sheep Gate. This was the gate through which uh, Jewish worshipers would bring their sheep to be sacrificed. And this was, is believed to be the, traditionally the gate that they brought Stephen out of to stone him to death. And so that's what they do. They drag him out of the city and they stone him to death. And it says there in verse 58, Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Circle that name because he's going to become a very important person in the rest of the Bible. This is Saul who becomes later known as Paul. And he's standing there and he's holding the coats of the people who were stoning Stephen. So he's giving his approval. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. Isn't it very, very similar what Stephen said compared to the words of Jesus on the cross? Where he said, Lord Jesus, Lord, receive my spirit. God said, Father, receive my spirit. Stephen said, don't hold this to their account. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So he's just echoing the words of his Savior but I, I want you to notice here, one, one last word, and then we'll close. Go, go back to, um, to verse 51, where Stephen says to them, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You always resist the Holy Spirit. I'm going to close the Bible study with a, a little bit of getting out there theologically with some doctrine that some of you are going to disagree with me about. But there are, there's a doctrine that says, and I don't, I don't embrace this, I don't believe it's biblical, but there's a doctrine that says that Jesus only died for a certain elect group of people and that because you were already predetermined and pre-chosen to be saved, that you really had no say in the matter because it was already designed and, and orchestrated and predetermined by God. And I want you to know what Stephen says here. Tragically, a person is able to resist the Holy Spirit. You have a choice. Jesus in Matthew chapter 23, he looks over Jerusalem and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you. Oh, how I wanted to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. God has given us a will and he desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But tragically, people can resist the Holy Spirit, reject the Holy Spirit, not yield your life to the Lord. And I pray that tonight, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you would not be among those who resist the Holy Spirit, but instead you would receive the Lord. Because you see, the Holy Spirit is the one who works on us to bring us to that place of surrender. But God does not force himself upon us. And he doesn't violate the very will that he's given us to exercise. So we have to choose him. God pursues us. God loved us. God died for us. God initiated salvation for us on our behalf. 
And in response to him, he wants us to come to him, not resisting, but yielding and surrendering to his lordship. There's much more to glean from the pages of Acts and the history of the early church, but we'll pause our journey through it for today. Join us next time as Pastor Gary continues to share the the power of the Holy Spirit with us. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection, Pastor Gary, or the church these messages originate from, we encourage you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. Browse through our archive of previous messages while you're there. And feel free to share them with friends and family. Download our mobile app as well to keep God's Word with you as you go about your daily activities. Pastor Gary has also made available a study guide to accompany his series in Acts. You can find this digital booklet in companion resources under the Teachings tab. Do you live in the Leesburg area or will you be visiting in the near future? If so, we'd like to extend an invitation to join us for our weekly gatherings. We meet each Sunday and Wednesday to spend time in prayer and worship and studying the Bible. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc for service times, more information, and directions. If you can't join us in person, don't worry. We live stream our services. Just click the link under the teachings tab. Thanks for joining us today. And be sure to tune in again for another edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul. That you've got no place to go. But still you know. You're not a Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.